0: there's no one else who's going to help me. You know what I mean? Like nobody is reaching out for and offering me these things. Like I have to go and get them. And so I didn't know that they existed, but as soon as they, I knew that they did, I was like, that's what I've been dreaming of all this time.
1: Welcome to Business School for Writers, where we help storytellers like you ditch the starving artist cliche and thrive. I'm your host, Lauren Marie Fleming, and I am obsessed with the power of stories. I've seen the way stories heal writers, readers, and whole communities. But I've also seen the way we silence marginalized voices and discourage people from pursuing a career as a writer, which is why I'm here today Helping you to ditch the lies you've been told about whose story matters and instead embrace the truth that the world needs your story now more than ever. I am living proof that it is possible to build a thriving career as a writer. And I created Business School for Writers to show you exactly how you can write more, publish more, and make more money as a storyteller. Welcome to your virtual classroom. Welcome to your cheerleading squad. Welcome to Business School for Writers. Wanna know a secret? How about three? I've got three secrets to guaranteed publishing success for you. Sounds a little spammy, I know, but 100% for reals, learning these three things changed my life as a writer. I spent years, decades even, struggling to figure out how to get published, letting rejection become personal, and accepting outright lies as facts. Now that I've learned these three truths, I feel free free to tell my story, free to publish my books, free to put myself out there and find readers who need to hear what I have to say. I wasted years letting myself be silenced. I don't want you to do the same. So I've collected these three secrets, or tips you could call them, in an educational video series for you. And the best part is it's all free at businessschoolforwriters.com slash three secrets. That's the number three followed by secrets. So businessschoolforwriters.com slash three secrets. As always, that link is in the show notes for you. So head on over to businessschoolforwriters.com and check out these three secrets because the world needs your story now more than ever. And I cannot wait to read your book. Welcome to the Business Clever Writers Podcast. I'm really excited. We have on someone who's kind of a big deal today. She's won a lot of awards and she's an amazing poet and an amazing fiction author as well. I'm so, so, so excited to be bringing on my friend, Jen Gavon. Jen Gavon is a National Endowment for the Arts and Penn Rosenthal Emerging Voices Fellow. She's a Mexican American writer and activist from the Southwest Desert. And she's the author of four full-length collections of poetry, Landscape with Headless Mama, Protection Spell, Girl with Death Mask, and Rosa's Einstein. And she's also the author of two novels, Trinity Site and Jubilee. Her honors include the Frost Place Latinx Scholarship. She's a National Latinx Writers Conference Scholarship winner. The La Review Poetry Prize, the New Ohio Review Poetry Prize chosen by Taheem Bajess, Phoebe Journals Greg Summer Poetry Prize chosen by Monica Yoon, the Pinch Poetry Prize chosen by Ada Limon, the Joy Harjo Poetry Prize second place chosen by Patricia Spears Jones, and over 15 Pushcart nominations. Did you hear that? That's an impressive, impressive list of awards and scholarships for her beautiful, beautiful poetry. Jen has actually published more than 300 poems, stories, and creative nonfiction pieces. Her work has appeared in The Best of the Net, Best New Poets, Poetry Daily, Verse Daily, Plowshares, Poetry, Salon, The Rumpus, The Nation, The New Republic, TriQuarterly, Boston Review, ag i Crazy Horse, Witness, Southern Humanities Review, Missouri Review, Android, and the Kenyan Review. Seriously, I could go on and on and on with all of the accolades and publishing credits that Jen has had over her career. She holds a master's degree in English from California State University Fullerton and an MFA from Warren Wilson College. And she can be found discussing feminist motherhood at JenniferGavon.com, as well as on Facebook and Twitter, at Jen Gavon, and the Bruja Poeta on Instagram. Now, I know that I just listed all of these amazing accolades that may mean something to you or may not mean something to you, but let me just tell you this, Jennifer Gavon is a warrior. (laughs) She is a fighter. She is somebody who has been rejected over and over and over again and keeps submitting. She's an inspiration to me and I know she'll be an inspiration to you to not let what others say keep you from continuing to put your story, your voice, whatever you have to say out there in the world. This is an extremely inspiring interview and I cannot wait to share it with you. So let's get going. Here is my interview with Jennifer Gavon. Welcome to another episode of Business School for Writers podcast. I am really excited about this guest because she's probably my oldest writing friend ever. Jen Gavon and I grew up together, but that is not why I have her on. I have her on because she's actually one of the most accomplished, poets that I've ever met, and I'm so excited to have you all talk to it. She's also a novelist. She's also a mother. She's also a teacher. She's an amazing human, and I cannot wait to have her on. You just heard her formal introduction, but I just wanted to say hello, hello to my friend,
0: Jen, my fellow bordista. I am so excited to have you on, and welcome. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to be here. So tell
1: us a little bit about you. Like, I'm just going to start with my first favorite question to ask people, and why writing? Like, why this act of writing?
0: Yeah, for me, I tell writers there's no other way. I tell writers that if you have to write, you're going to write, no matter what I tell you. And that's how it's been for me, and um, we'll talk about this more, Lauren, but you know that my battle with writing has often been wrapped up in my own issues with mental illness and certain other things that I've dealt with trauma in my life. And writing has helped me through that. And there's just no other way. I mean, even at times when I've wanted to, you know, quit, you know, my, my like head says like, this isn't working and I'm not getting published or I'm getting these rejections. And I think that I'm going to have to give it up because it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's hard right I mean to to sit down at the desk every single day and write even when the world is telling me shut up you know we don't want to hear what you're saying And, and that has happened as many times as I've been published I often still feel like I'm up against that wall trying to silence me especially as a Latina as a you know someone from borderlands and writing about the border, someone who is fat, someone who's a mother when motherhood is given lip service and not necessarily truly valued in our society, I often feel, you know, like I'm getting that message of be quiet, you know, and I can't. And so that's why I'm a writer because there just is no other way for me to live. I love that. And I feel (laughs) that. And I'm sure so many people
1: listening along and watching along feel that as well. I just, yeah, yes, there is no other way to live. And especially all those things that you're talking about, the ways in which you're silenced. Like one of my biggest goals is to help unsilence marginalized voices to amplify them. And I just, I love that you brought up all those different ways because I think we often think like, here's one way I'm silenced. We don't understand. It's like this total, like a total of all the life experiences that try to silence you. So I love that you found your voice and, um, What's the very first thing you remember writing?
0: Oh, my gosh. I mean, I've been writing since I was a very little girl and probably just terrible poems, honestly. (laughs) Oh, my God. I remember (laughs) us in high school sharing our terrible poems with each other. Yeah, we had notebooks. We each had a notebook and it was like, here's all my poems. But but, but we didn't know they were terrible, right? We connected that way. We thought they were wonderful. And I mean, I remember my brother bought me a book of Jules' poetry. A knight without armor, and it's you know, and I mean K and and I loved it, and it was just you know so beautiful, and I didn't know anybody beyond the you know high school classroom. I didn't know anyone beyond Sylvia Plath, Emily Dickinson, Walt Whitman. You know, I didn't know contemporary poets at all, and I loved it, and I thought it was just beautiful. And then I got to a college class several years later, and the professor there was making fun of Jewel, you know, and saying like it's not real poetry. And I remember just being so mad and like, F that, you know, because that got me through. And so I, I say tongue in cheek, I say terrible poetry, because, I mean, it was, it was real, it got me through, it connected me to another human being who was also, you know, seeking out anybody who understood, you know, what it was like to be a writer and a creative person in a town, in a community, in a family that didn't necessarily understand or support that, you know, or know how to support that. And so um, I, I like to tell writers how terrible I was stylistically and formally. I had no training whatsoever. I went to a writer's group when I was, I don't know, 26 or 27 and I had won the National Endowment for the Arts. And so I had money finally to go traveling to all these writers' conferences. And I was with this young writer who was maybe 20, 21. And she was telling me all of the advanced training that she'd been doing in her creative writing careers. And she was like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, which is amazing, right? I'm so glad for her. But I mean, she was going to these prestigious programs and like, she's like, oh yeah, when I was 16, I met with the poet laureate of the US. And I'm like, yeah, I was living on the border, you know, and like, I didn't even know that contemporary poets existed. Like I literally thought all poets were dead. That was just something that I had in my mind until... I met other writers like yourself and, you know, it was just like a couple of us like, oh yeah, I write in my journal, you know, and it wasn't until I got to college that I even realized that other, that there was a a way to learn, you know, how to become a stronger writer. I don't even remember where we started with this. (laughs) No, I
1: love that. I really love that you said, I thought all poets were dead. That like hit me because I thought all poets were dead too. The only people who were poets were like Singer-songwriters. I mean, we grew up in the Lilith right. era. So, like, anyway, right. Franco, Jewel, like, we right. heard them. Alanis but
0: Morissette.
1: <laughs> when did you ever hear a Latinx poet?
0: When exactly. did, Like, we grew up in
1: a town that was
0: 85% Mexican, and we never learned anything about Mexican heritage at all. Absolutely. Exactly. And I felt so disconnected from my heritage. My mother is Mexican, and my family has roots in Mexico, and here, indigenous roots, in the southwest. I'm in New Mexico now, and that's where my family is from. And I had no connection to the artistic aspects of my culture and my heritage until I got to college. And I had just happened to hear that Sandra Cisneros was reading at the Santa Ana Public Library. And I, you know, I showed up and I finally got to hear a Latina reading and hearing about her ancestors, the um, antepasados, and listening to their voices, and I was like, oh, that's who's been talking to me, (laughs) you know, but I didn't know, Um, and so I felt very disconnected from, you know, what I would eventually become, and I love that you said that you are, you know, your platform is to support minority writers and those who are not a part of the mainstream and that's absolutely my goal as well because like I said I had no idea both of us had no idea that these voices existed queer um, voices LGBTQ plus community um, writers of color so my platform as well is to empower especially young women and, and folks in the LGBTQ plus community.
1: I love that. I love that. And Mm -hmm. I also love that you've like hustled your way as a writer. I don't, I've been in the writing world forever. And I think it's really interesting to me, the way that our paths have like diverged and come apart, diverged and come apart throughout our lives. Mm -hmm. And you would think this is going to be this is going to be showing but you would think that I would have found my most like accomplished writer when I'm out at these major conferences or when I'm you know going to school for this or when I'm talking to here but one of the more like you have the most awards and rec- and I don't know what else you would call all these titles and prestige of anyone else and you came from my little town you came from my little farming mm-hmm. border town and you were like my buddy that we fought with and loved each other and fought with. Like, it's just, it's so impressive. And I wonder, I say all this, not just to brag because I'm so proud of you and all the awards you've won, but I wonder where, how does that, how does that start with not knowing it existed lead into that hustle to make space for yourself?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of it too is that we are strong women right and we've always known that and that's how we've gotten through so much of what we went through you know i have always been a plus size woman and i've recently just started claiming that and and calling myself fat you know my daughter now is nine years old almost ten and she's very curvy and so helping her to see herself as powerful as she is, you know, and beautiful as she is and perfect as she is. And so like to be able to say about myself, like, I am fat, I am brown. And I am, you know, and all of those things that used to be things that I was embarrassed of or ashamed of, because even though our town that we grew up in was, is primarily Mexican, there is definitely a class you know a classist system there still in place from colonialization and that mentality, and so I just I saw myself as you know as someone who even though I felt my power within me, I often wasn't really shown how to uh, re or yeah to claim that power and how to express myself, and so for me a lot of it is just that I'm so tenacious because I feel like there's no one else who's going to help me. You know what I mean? Like nobody is reaching out for and offering me these things. Like I have to go and get them. And so I didn't know that they existed, but as soon as they, I knew that they did, I was like, that's what I've been dreaming of all this time. Right. And it's mostly just about getting my voice out there, getting the words out there, getting the experiences out there, because I felt so alone. You know, you and I met in high school, but before that, like, I had no idea that other creative, you know, type people existed. Like, my brother is in theater, my brother's gay, but, you know, still very different experience in the Latino culture for a man, um, you know, even a gay man, just a very different experience than it was for a woman, and um, I feel like, in certain ways maybe it was a bravado that he put on and that he had to adopt but like he always seemed so much more self assured than than i felt like i was and so ever since i knew that these things existed that you know that poet, contemporary poetry was alive and well and that i actually could you know write this novel and get it published these were things that i wanted to go out and get for myself and for instance let me give you the example in the publishing world and and what I'm always telling people, um, especially people of color um, and women of color, is that you have to, you know, you're knocking on the door and they're not letting you in. You know, you go around to the back of the building, you find the fire escape and you climb that thing and you like break open a window and you get inside. And so my first agent that I had for my novel was wonderful, but she was not able to successfully sell my first novel. And I did not give up. I revised the heck out of that thing and revised and revised, you know. <laughs> you know. I know, I was there and I was like, don't give up, this is good, don't give up, this is good. <laughs> I had my team of you know women, friends and supporters and I kept on going, I found another agent and that agent was not able to su- successfully sell my novel. And so during this time, this was Jubilee and I have it here. Which I just found out like 10 minutes ago before we started is going to be out in the world finally. In October. I'm so excited. Thank you. And my second novel couldn't sell it. And so in the meantime, I was working on my novel Trinity site and working my butt off. Right here for those who are watching along.
1: Some are listening along, some are watching along, but I have it right here.
0: And I finished that, you know, and so even though I basically had what some people might feel, and sometimes I felt about myself that I had a failed novel. I mean, and some people would say like, oh, your first novel, put it away in a drawer. Okay, maybe if you feel called to do that, but I didn't feel called to do that, you know? I was writing Trinity Site very much with the intention that, okay, now I have two books to publish, right? And that's what I did. I finished it, I polished it, I sent it out, found a third agent, and told her, you know, I have this book. She loved Trinity Site from the beginning. And I said, okay, thank you. I also have Jubilee. (laughs) And she did. She sold it to Blackstone Publishing with the two books and the option for the publisher to read my third book, which I hadn't even written yet. (laughs) So here I am. This is, I mean, this is a period of eight years, maybe, I'd had my kids, I was raising my kids, I think my daughter was one year old when I started Jubilee, and she'll be 10 this year, when it's going to be published, so it's been a decade, basically, from writing it to publishing, and I just never gave up, I refused to give up, I went, I found that fire escape, (laughs) you know,
1: I I love it, and then when Trinity Psych came out, I was seeing you everywhere, too, so it went from, I remember, I remember you talking about somebody maybe was going to take it, but it was like a small press and they weren't sure they were going to like do anything with it. And you weren't sure it was going to go anywhere. And you found the right one. Like I've seen Trinity site everywhere, which is so (laughs) exciting to see your book, this amazing book of yours. And even more exciting that you didn't give up a Jubilee. It reminded when you said that, it reminded me, I was once given a piece of advice that I thought was really great. And it was the best way to sell your book. Your first book is to write the second. And it really does, it, it, I think that people who are listening, they feel so lost for so long and it can be a really long process, but once you hit that growth, it's that exponential curve, right? Like writing two books allowed you to sell the first and the second together, like it, and then the third, like it it compounds on itself.
0: Exactly. I'm rejected still quite a bit, but I mean, my track record of rejections are, In the hundreds, I mean, I might even venture to say I've had a 1000 rejections at this point, and it wouldn't be an absurd number. That's how often I've submitted over the past 15 years since I've been really taking this seriously. And with the first novel, like I said, it was rejected really by all the major publishers and several of the smaller publishers. I was encouraged by some really kind letters from editors and encouraged by some finalist nods in contests. And so I think that it definitely does help you know, when you have that encouragement along the way but instead of seeing it as just rejection, because ultimately it was rejection, but I had to pull out of there what my spirit needed to continue going. And sometimes, uh, you know this, Lauren, I would send it to you, like, look at this rejection I got. And I remember one time you showed me, like you x out or like just erased all of the negative, right? And I had a small paragraph, but a paragraph, nevertheless, of just these really beautiful things that editors had said to me, even as they'd rejected me. And that's what I held to my heart. And you were like, look, this is what they think about you. Know? <laughs> Keep going. And, you know, and that has meant so much to me. And that's what I want to encourage other writers along the way because all that time I was learning, I was growing, and I realized now, and I'm, you know, you might have heard this before, but I'll reiterate it, you know, my first book really wasn't ready. To get published then there was something about it right worthwhile and that's the seed that I held on to all this time but it's a very different book now in style you know and you know and just in the way that I'm telling the story it's a very different book now than it was when I first was trying to get it published and I don't know that I would have been quite as proud of it you know looking back as I am now because it's been a decade of my blood, sweat, and tears, right, and it's about motherhood, and I've been raising my children all this time, and I've been able to invest all of that into it, so the other thing I think that I've been learning is that even as you just have to be tenacious, and never give up, and just kind of like, you know, I I don't care if I come across as annoying, because I have goals, I have this one life to live, you know, and I have dreams that, are going to come true in one iteration or another because I'm going to make them come true. And so, you know, but at the same time, I've had to learn patience because sometimes something is coming and you have to hang on to that belief that it's coming and it's for you. You have your eyes on it for a reason. You know, you believe in yourself and your dreams for a reason and that's not wrong, right? But it just might not be the time yet and you still have things to learn.
1: I love that. I love that. I'm going to ask you a question that I get asked a lot. And um, I'm going to ask you why didn't you just self publish it?
0: Yeah, that's a tough one. And I think that there are some socioeconomic reasons for myself as well, because I wanted and I have, you know, part of my dream has been to teach writing. And so I wanted to gain, gain a full professorship. I mean, I'm not quite sure that that's where my dreams are at this time anymore, because I'm actually writing with my daughter now, who's, like I said, almost 10 years old. She and I are writing together. And I'm hoping and I'm homeschooling my children, you know, which I had started doing even before the pandemic. But so I'm seeing myself now more as wanting to stay home and write and focus on my children in that way. But for the longest time, I really wanted a full professorship. In the writing world, I've often felt like there are these kind of classist levels and the ivory tower. And that's been an unfortunate aspect of the business side of it for me, realizing that those kind of gatekeepers do exist and trying to navigate that world for myself. And having internalized, I think, some of the ideas of that mindset um, and seeing myself through the mindset of you know, maybe I'm not good enough, if I can't attain those things, you know, and not seeing it as a critique of the structure itself, but as something inherently like wrong or less than in myself. And so that's been the work that I've been doing, um, you know, growing up with relatively little or nothing, um, and then coming into this world of publishing and seeing it as kind of an emerald city, like it's, you know, so dazzling. And, and, I really wanted that prestige that came along with it. And I examine that in myself and in my life because I absolutely would not recommend to someone that that's the only path. I don't think it is. And that's been really the the battle with my shadow self, I think, is finding that I am strong enough, I am powerful enough, my words are intended for an audience. Like There are people who need to hear these truths you know, just as I needed the books that I found that meant so much to me and the other voices and the other writers that I've connected with. That's ultimately my goal. Um, And so it's a really tough question, because I think the ultimate answer is that I didn't feel good enough. I mean, that's what it comes down to probably. And somehow I thought and have thought that having these having an external validation of you know such and such publisher or such and such you know review would somehow make me feel like a more you know valuable writer and I absolutely don't think that's true Um, I think that there are venues with you have to be careful with self-publishing of course and I'm not you would be um probably a a much better person to go to about that Um, because I I can't advise people which self-publishing paths to take, but I've seen people become very successful in reaching their audiences, which is ultimately what I'm always going to advocate for, is that your people are out there. The people who need to hear what you and only you have to say, right, they are out there, and so however you're reaching them is the right way, but for myself, I think that's probably the rawest, most vulnerable answer, but I'm going to just try to be real with folks because I want people to reach their dreams, and I just don't think that there's only one way to do that, and I had to reconcile that with myself. You were mentioning a little while ago how I'd come to you asking your opinion about this public, a certain publisher that Was interested in my books. The publisher that I've gone with, Blackstone, is the leading publisher in audiobooks, but they're relatively new to print books. And I hadn't heard of them before, in all honesty. And so I was a bit timid about that because I had in my mind, you know, like I said, I had these dreams that I wanted to attain, and I have, I wrote, I write down everything that I want in life and I manifest it to myself, you know, and I I believe in that. You know, but I had like the big five New York publishers, and that was just kind of the rigid mindset that I had. And it turns out that, and I talked to my agent about it, I talked to you about it, talked to several trusted friends about it. Blackstone was absolutely the perfect home for my books. And they're all about advocating for people of color, um, minority writers, and, you know, and they were small, they, they have you know, the means to support me, but they have a small enough team um, and a small enough list that it really felt like a family. And that's how I think of them as Blackstone family. And, you know, my writing is about family. That's what I care about. That's what I love. That's ultimately where, you know, everything comes down to for me is family. And so the universe knew better than I did you know, because I had this like rigid, okay, that's what I wanted. I wanted like, there's the ivory tower or whatever. And that's what I wanted to get to. And it wouldn't have served me. It wouldn't have served my books necessarily the way that Blackstone has. So.
1: I love that. I love that honest answer too. I mean, I think I tell people this all the time. There is no right or wrong way to publish. Right. Is I think you said, great. Your people are out there. Like, how do you get to the people who need to read your book? And what are your goals with that particular book? So, like, my book, Body Love. My goal was mm-hmm. to just write a manifesto so I never hated my body again. <laughs> I to share that manifesto with people in book form. That was right. the goal. It just needed to be out. In the exactly. world, that was the success of it. Whereas my other book that's like out with agents right now and being rejected left and right, <laughs> and people ask me, why don't you just self-publish that? I'm like, well, that book's goal is different. That book's goal right. is a movie starring The Rock. Like the goal of <laughs> it was it. to be a movie and, to <laughs> be, and still the gatekeepers of movie making are still the big publishers. So even right. if you self-publish, that you tend to still have to be picked up by a regular publisher to even get a movie made. So it's like right. each book has its own... Special destiny, and I love that you allowed your book to go down the destiny you wanted to while also recognizing that it might not be the big five publisher, your better publisher might be the smaller, newer one that's dedicated right. to people like you,
0: right? Absolutely, yeah. Let's I hope you wrote your... that down real quick. I hope you wrote down the rock like a movie with the rock that book is based on a dream I
1: had where the rock wanted to date me and I turned him down (laughs) and it is all set up to be the rock when you're listening to this hi Dwayne how's it going (laughs) come on my way we're gonna get this book made together I'm actually only one I'm like multiple one degrees of separation from him I know people who know him really well so one of these days one of these days is gonna happen
0: yeah, I I'm in love with him. So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm writing a book about a lesbian falling in love with him. He's that amazing. <laughs> like, it, come on. It, it, we love you we love you Dwayne. But yeah, so again, my like my each of my books have started with a different dream in mind, with a different goal right. in mind. So I right. want people to think of it not as like is self-publishing best or is traditional publishing best or is hybrid publishing best and thinking what is best for the success of how I define success for this book. Absolutely. Like Body Love, I printed 250 copies. When they were done, they were done. I don't know if I'm ever going to reprint it. That was kind of fine enough for me. Whereas my other book, I wanted to be like 250 million. You know, each one has its own need. Speaking of which, is this your... So I want to talk about the different publishing process because... I think that it's amazing. I want to talk about your novels for sure, but also you've published a lot of poetry and yeah. that to me feels so intimidating. Like <laughs> I can't imagine publishing poetry and you have so many poetry books. So tell me a little bit about how poetry and, and novel publishing differs for you even in the writing process.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. And it's so funny because when we were in high school I wanted to be in the poetry contest. I've always thought of myself as a poet and my instructor was like, "No, you need to be in the essay contest." And I was like, "Okay." But it meant that we were both in this valley-wide competition and you won the poetry competition and I won the essay competition. So that was I was an essayist for decades and <laughs> you we were a poet for decades, so we switched places. It was too hilarious. I think so. So I do, I see myself as a poet and that's how I see the world. That's how I think Um, I've always had my heart on my sleeve and I thought it was, you know, growing up, I thought it was a vulnerability and thought that it was something that made me maybe less than, and then I realized that it was actually my superpower, (laughs) you know, to be able to call on my emotions like that and be that vulnerable on the page, you know, and there was something there about voice that, you know, that was my superpower was being a poet but when I sat down to try and write essays and try and write stories and and novels, they came out fragmented because they came out like, you know, in imagery and images, the way that I would write a poem, because in a poem, you know, and I guess a very experimental novel, but I was trying to write more traditional novels, you know, but when you sit down to write a poem, it's like, you know, they're snapshots and these moments come together, in a way that the reader has to do the work to connect, whereas in a novel, the novelist really needs to put all the connective tissue there together. And so my first attempts at writing fiction were not very successful, Um, but I loved doing it and I had stories to tell that I knew required that format of a novel because they were, you know, just a more full experience of whatever the protagonist was going through that I wanted to share in story form and and be able to do that with narrative in a way that I didn't feel that I would be able to do as successfully in a poetry book. And so, um, you know, so I was working on these simultaneously, but my poetry was, was much more successful because like I said, that's just how I think. And so my poetry career really took off and I'm grateful for it because I think that's what then helped boost my fiction career. And so from this, for all writers out there, I would say just lean in toward what feels most natural to you and what what you really love doing. Because I would often, you know, chastise myself thinking like, am I pigeonholing myself by just being a poet, you know, um, and publishing all these poetry, knowing that I have these novels that I've been working on, but ultimately it was like, just follow your passion. And, I took this kind of circuitous road that led to all of my, you know, things, all of my projects being published. So in 2015, I won a national endowment for the arts in poetry. But I used that time not just to finish and further my poetry collections, but I also kind of like tagged along just like I did Jubilee with Trinity Site. I'm like, come on, fiction. You know, the world hasn't necessarily cleared a path for you yet. But like, I know, you know what I mean? And so that's what I really want like all writers to feel inspired about here is that your projects are going to be completed in their own time and you just have to keep believing in them but lean in toward your strengths and so poetry I know was my strength and that's where eventually I started winning contests and I was applying to all of these different contests and I won really just one after the other over or and I was a finalist in a couple of them but Over the next four years, and then I had that as a kind of a platform then to launch my fiction, and so the differences in publishing between poetry and fiction are that with poetry you don't necessarily need and you won't necessarily find an agent for your poetry. It's more finding publishers And you'll do this through reading. I just read all of the poets that I connected with that I loved, and I would go to poetry readings and hear different people, um, you know, and and other poets would recommend each other. And I would look them up on social media, look up their websites, and find them on poets.org and the Poetry Foundation. and, And so I was really just like getting connected in the poetry world. And then that's how I started publishing my poetry manuscripts. Um, was by winning these contests and then getting connected with different publishers. Whereas with fiction, I had to find an agent. And then, like I told you, that journey of eventually my agent selling my three-book deal. So two books that I had written, one book that I hadn't even written. I just finished the first draft earlier this week, or last week. (laughs) So now I have a third book that I'm going to
1: sell,
0: hopefully, and, and get launched out there into the world. There were a couple
1: things you said that I yeah. want to go back on. Um, one, I love that you brought up that you were considered too sensitive because I feel like you and I were really sensitive beings and we put up like these walls. We were like, nope, yes. no one can get in because if they do, it's going to hurt a lot. Yeah. And part of learning to be a writer and part of writing. Is taking down those walls, right? It's like learning. Oh, this thing that I was told was bad. You mentioned it earlier, being like in your plus size body, being brown, being like in a different socioeconomic class, being too sensitive. All those things that were right. bad in quotes right. during high school, right. and right. all the things you're made fun of in high school are like right. water for beautiful poetry and beautiful writing. I also love that you brought up that you just applied to everything because I (laughs) think the one thing that you've inspired me the most is like, I, can't, I don't know where you have time to write and apply. You apply to everything. <laughs> and by applying over and over and over again, by sending it to agents over and over and over again, right. you found eventual success. And right. so I love that you brought that, that it didn't, it wasn't immediate. It was like no. continual applying. And then
0: once you get one thing, it exponentially adds together. It's like, you got a freaking right. national endowment for the arts and poetry. Right, absolutely. I mean- I think that in terms of the vulnerability and letting people in, you know, I still cry over rejections. I still cry over, and one thing I'm learning now is reviews, you know, and Goodreads reviews, and and just like, you know, this is my heart. Like, I am p- literally putting my heart out there, you know, and, and I've spent time with these characters. A lot of these aspects of these characters are me. And so it's like putting myself out there, and then, you know, Knowing that it's like the writer mindset. You said you said you wonder how I have time to do these things. And for me, the time is difficult. But for me, the the challenge has more been knowing you know when to just open myself up to the world, and then when to like get my mirror out. I get my I don't have it here, but like my Bruja's mirror, and just be like, yeah, you're not you know the energy that you're directing at me is is a mirror for yourself because you're not actually criticizing me. But knowing how to navigate those two aspects of being a writer because in order to write these things you really do have to we we taught a class together right and the Ernest Hemingway quote you have to just like sit at the typewriter and bleed you know and that is exactly how I feel about writing that I open up my heart and in the hope that it will strengthen someone else it will remind someone else that you're not alone you know I write a lot about trauma and being a survivor of abuse and so those are things that i absolutely want to be able to share with people and i do have to just open up the floodgates and let it out but then at the same time know that i'm going to apply to a 100 different things and i will be rejected for at least i think my my statistics are something around 19% but they are less for fellowships and things like that but i mean like 85 or 90 of them, at least. And I'm just gonna have to be okay with that because those five or 10 or however many get through, sometimes one, right, out of that hundred, one of them will be a success. I have to know in my heart, and this is what I have to remind myself all the time, that it was worth it because that person who read it or that audience that it then opened up to my people who needed to hear this, right, heard it. And I I need to not worry about those other 99 or however many. it, It wasn't for them, you know? I love that my people who needed to hear this heard it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And that's how I feel, right, about, like, we connected with each other, you know, out of all the people in the school, like, what are the odds that, you know,
1: well, and I, I want to tell people, like, you don't always have somebody in your high school. And I didn't see, like, I don't think Jen and I really saw the writer in each other until, right. uh, like, years later. We, right. we really connected over writing, like, five years. I mean, we connected, we, like, in secret, late at night yeah. during sleepovers. We're like, yeah. hey, I kind of write poetry sometimes. Yeah. I write poetry too, that kind of thing. But it wasn't until right. we were in our 20s where we even were able to be, like, right yo, you're a writer
0: too. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like a kindred spirit. You recognize kindred spirits out there and knowing that like, those are the people that you are meant to, For whatever reason, like help each other, support each other and, and opening up to that. I think that's for me, been a major inspiration and a source for me that I go back on because the doubt is there. I mean, the rejection is real and it still is painful every time. But I just have to remind myself that like, there are kindred spirits out there. And especially now at this point in my career, I want to pave the way for others who like us didn't necessarily know how to do this. And that's why I love what you're doing here. Um, you know, how to get published and, and you know, you can get published and you will get published. And, and I love that because you know, at the, in the beginning, all I could do was just Google, like, how do I get published? You know, where do I start? I have no idea. Right. And so I love this.
1: Yeah. I think that, I mean, why I do what I do is because there's, we have so much out there on the craft of writing. There right. are amazing resources out there on how to be a beautiful writer. There are very few resources out there on how to like the logistics of getting getting your book published, the logistics of paying right. your bills as a writer, and right. I s- spent decades emailing you, who I just happened to like have a friend on <laughs> Facebook, if I hadn't had you, like I'd be more lost, I just happened to make a friend with a literary agent, because right. I was putting myself out there as a writer, so it's right. coincidental, so if people are like, well that's fine for you too, you were friends in high school, like we, you know how many people in high school I don't talk to, right. <laughs> you know, right. it's about exactly. finding, like you said, those kindred spirits, but it's also right. about understanding that it is like building a business. You're building right. a brand. You have to keep trying your product out on your ideal market. And right. it's not like if I'm making eyeglasses, I'm not going to try to sell eyeglasses to people who don't need glasses, you know? So thinking of like, it's not that this person who doesn't need glasses hates my glasses, It's that they don't need glasses. So go find somebody who needs those glasses you're making.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I always ask myself,
1: like, what would, if I was, if, if I was a pizza maker, what would I be doing that I'm not doing as a writer? Like, how do I think of myself as like somebody who owned a pizza store versus a, like a pizza restaurant versus a writer? And that's helped me so much just persevere. I'm like, well, I would keep
0: going until I found the type of pizza people like, or people who like my pizza. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I love that. And then also, I think there's like a stigma with being a writer and there's like a sense of shame, right? Because if you were a pizza maker, right, it would be like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, change my ingredients or change this or that or my, or my marketing tactics or whatever, my location, right? I mean, there's all these other aspects, but not like I am a terrible, whatever the things that we hurdle at ourselves because we're getting rejected or because we haven't found our audience yet, we haven't won awards yet, those types of things. So one of the things that I love and that I'm always shouting from the mountaintops is stripping that sense of shame. And that's why I love talking about my publishing experiences and how many rejections that I've gotten because that's another side of side of writing and publishing that I don't think we hear enough, you know, and we see a lot of times only the successes and then we can think, wow, they're always getting accepted, they're always winning awards. Or, no, not necessarily, right? We're not always showing each other you know, the, the countless times that, you know, we whatever whatever we do to um, assuage our wounds from this business, you know, and so I love that. I love that you've opened this space up for us to be honest about the, our approaches and, and our successes and our failures as well that ultimately weren't failures but led to, you know, another opportunity. Yeah.
1: Let's talk about your books. Not to interrupt you, but I love your books. So I'm going to tell you a secret. Trinity cites better than I thought it was going to be. And not <laughs> that I didn't think it was going to be bad. It's just better. Like, I couldn't put it down. Yay. Like I expected it to be very poetic like it is. I expected it to be very set in the desert Southwest like it is. I it was funny because when you're talking about Goodreads comments, I read the Goodreads comments on this and and somebody was knocking you for not being Latina. And I was like, did you read the book? (laughs) Like, do you know? Did you look into that? Like they gave you a one-star we're going off on how you were using Spanish and you're not Latina. I'm like, I get the white sounding last name, but like, so anyways, that that just came to my head. But I love that it, it feels like you're of the earth. It feels like it came out of your womb. It feels like it came out of the ground. It's a lot more like suspenseful than I expected, which was great. It's a lot less scary than I expected, which is also great because I don't sleep well at night. <laughs> oh no. I'm sorry. I should
0: have I should have warned you.
1: <laughs> no, it was great though. I read it and it's it's really was weird. Like it came out. And I started reading it, it was really weird to like go into a pandemic talking about this. So, so anyways, tell me a little bit about this book for those who haven't read it yet or for those who don't know about it yet.
0: Yeah. So I moved to New Mexico. My mom is Mexican, as I've said earlier, um, and my family has indigenous roots in New Mexico. And we moved to New Mexico where I'd come as a child on kind of a pilgrimage. When I was a child, my family came here on an ancestral journey to reconnect with our great-grandmother's family um, and we were doing a family tree and everything and and so we gone to white sands and rolled down the hills in white sands which is just like it sounds it's a place in the desert where the gypsum is granulated in sand and it's like being at a white sand beach in the middle of the desert so no ocean no water just white sand And I remember, even as a little girl, I was around 10 years old, we'd come with my whole family, my grandmother and and everybody, When there was this electrical monsoon storm going on, and that it was such a spiritual experience that would shape me for the rest of, you know, my childhood and into my adulthood. So when I came back here, I was feeling that kind of vibration in everything that I was doing and feeling the magic. And... At the same time that I was becoming a writer and I was raising my children and I was having these kind of story ideas for a woman who gave birth. Um, I don't want to give it away, but she has. I'm not going to give it away, but I almost did. (laughs) I was like, wait, don't tell them because I know it's coming, but only because I know you. (laughs) (laughs) I almost gave it away, but I went, go get the book and you'll see um, what inspired, but it's magical. And it was really about motherhood in this magical place. You know, and when I say magic, I don't mean to. Some people have criticized um, really what I feel like they're misinterpreting, and they're seeing it through uh, a white. Viewpoint, really, a Western culture viewpoint, because the magic that i 'm talking about is spirituality, but in English we lack I think the, the vocabulary for it but i 'm talking about the kind of magical realism that 's found in Mexican uh, writing and culture and experience where miracles just happen it 's just a part of the experience right and and so that 's really what was what was going on and the idea of a, a woman searching for her child. I mean, that was really the heart of the book. And so what, what ultimately came together for me was piecing together the indigenous spirituality of the Southwest, um, where my ancestors are from, with the kind of scientific, white, Western worldview that I've grown up with, you know. And maybe one of the reasons criticism has been laid at me is that my dad is white, but I'm very clear in the book that that's that's the battle here really for Calliope is the um, what's been seen as a binary as a split and how I grew up thinking about it in terms of like their spirituality on this side and their science on this side you know and I stubbornly refused to believe that and that was the goal of the book was really to bring those two together and So that I got deeply invested in, you know, theoretical physics and astrophysics. And I was just like, I am bound and determined to figure out how to prove, right? And in a way that the spirituality is real, you know, and if you talk to indigenous people here, for instance, and you bring up the idea of the land bridge, and that's how indigenous people came here. I mean, that is, you know, it's, it's a very insulting thing to say, because it's like saying that, their ancestors, their spirituality, their core beliefs are wrong, right? And so I wanted in, in the back of my mind to prove that spirituality that I felt was not wrong. And so the place that I, that I found to do that was in literature, right? I mean, because that's the place that's always been, for me, like fluid and magical, right? And so that magical real, right? And so that is where Trinity Site came from, and it is scary because, you know, motherhood is scary, <laughs> you know, I mean, it really is, like, I am in a constant state of anxiety, like, this pandemic is only bringing out, you know, what has always already been there, the fear that something will happen to my child, that I won't be able to protect my child, and so, or my, and my children. You know, and so that is the concern of the book and, you know, and it manifests itself in, I I think, very magical ways, but that's always the heart for me is the poet's heart, the mother's heart of, like, finding home.
1: That feels like a really great place to end our lovely conversation. Thank you. That Home, The Poet's Heart and Home. I love that. Um, is there any – well, I'm going to plug your book because Trinity Sites amazing. And I'm not just <laughs> saying that because I'm your friend. It is really a great book. It feels very much like the kind of thing some big TV show would be based off of. Like a, that is the hope. Right? Anyway. Here like, we like, As I'm talking like, this is the <laughs> next, like, Lost – this yeah. is this is amazing. This is great. It's it's such it's so well written. It's so poetic yet also accessible. Cause sometimes things get like too cerebral for me. And I'm like, nah, I just want to read a romance novel. But this is amazing. It's a poetic yet accessible read. And I also want to plug your landscape with Headless Mama. This is one of my favorite of your books. And it's a poetry collection that I read a lot. So I want to plug those two books for you so you don't have to plug them because I love them. (laughs) And um, where can people find you if they want to connect with you more?
0: Yeah, so I'm on the web, uh, jennifergivon.com. And then I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm at Jen Givon or at the Bruja Poeta on Instagram. So you'll find me.
1: And we'll have all those links in the show notes. You can go find the links there as well. I highly suggest connecting with Jen. You're an amazing writer, poet, and I'm just honored to call you a friend.
0: Thank you. And
1: go so get Trinity much. Sight, people, seriously. <laughs> you gotta be like, be a hipster, and you're like, I read this book before it became a movie. Like, go read it. <laughs> be that hipster, go grab it. I love you so much, Bordista. I was gonna call you, I was like trying to call Bruja and poeta at the same time I, with love bordista. <laughs> I love you so much, my fellow Bordista, and um, I will talk with you again soon. Please come back on again. I love this conversation. Thank you. Love you. Mwah. Bye. Mwah. <laughs> Today's book recommendation is, of course, Jennifer Gavon's Trinity Site. It is such an amazing book. And now I know I'm biased because Jen is a friend of mine and Jen was just on the podcast talking to all of us. But really... I was, I knew Jen was an amazing writer, but I was still shocked at how wonderfully put together this book is. It weaves fantasy and tables from the Southwest and from Mexican culture that I grew up with. And I know Jen is a part of that culture. It is a little bit of an apocalyptic fiction. It has this beautiful, you know, underlying story of relationships and how we build them and who we build them with. And it is just, it really is a page turner. I stayed up late at night to read it, and it, it, it pulled me in in a way that it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I can't put words to it as much as just you got to get a copy, and you got to really delve into this world of Calliope and Jen's beautiful mix of poetic prose. And so I am going to read you a little bit here so you get a little bit of a taste of those, that prose of hers though she'd been estranged from her religion for years, since college, since she'd stopped bickering with her mother at the improbability of God, since she became an anthropology professor and found other ways of explaining human history, our shared stories, our deep-seated need for mythos. There in the car, under the palpable redness, in the moments before the crash, the only words that made any sense came streaming like rainwater. Thou art with me, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. But after the prayer, a flickering, cicadas buzzing, and her bisabuela's voice in a dust storm. She was split between worlds, and the ancient ones grasped her tight. I just love it. I love Jen's prose. I really loved every aspect of this book. I cannot praise it enough. And I highly suggest you going and getting a copy of Trinity Sight by Jennifer Gavon, who you just heard the interview with. And of course, we have a link to buy it in the show notes. Happy reading. You just finished another lesson at Business School for Writers. Feels pretty great, right? Being one step closer to a thriving writing career? I am so excited to see how you put to use the tips you learned today. So please share what you've gained from this episode in the Writer Squad Facebook group. You can find your squad at facebook.com slash groups slash Writer Squad. Want even more support making your writing dreams come true? Go to businessschoolforwriters.com where not only can you find show notes and links from today's episode, but you'll also be able to explore courses, coaching, and free resources we've gathered together to help you along your path to creating a thriving writing career. Thanks again for listening to the Business School for Writers podcast. I'll see you in the next lesson. Business School for Writers is hosted and produced by Lauren Marie Fleming, with editing and support from Samantha Olivares. All rights reserved by Las Maestras LLC. Our music is De Lejos by Ila Bamba. Check them out on Spotify. Big thanks to the team at Terror Bird and to Kristen Hozak. And of course, big thanks to you, the listener. Now put down this podcast already and go right. I'll see you next episode.